Okay, if you've got the notes, we're picking up with day seven of the, uh, the days of creation, looking in particular at uh, Genesis 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. When we left chapter 1, the final verse in our English Bibles, in chapter 1, and keep in mind that the chapter divisions were not part of the original text. They were added centuries, centuries later. Um, conceivably in the medieval period, so some of the chapter breaks and some of the verse uh, numberings are a little less than fortunate. But uh, this is, I think, one of those cases. But in, in verse 31 of chapter 1, the scripture says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then we come to the section that we have before us today in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And then very importantly, verse 3, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So may the Lord bless the reading and, and teaching of his word. So we look at this, this development from chapter 1, verse 31, and transitioning into chapter 2. And it's, um, it's unfortunate. I'm on page 1 of the notes. And by the way, you've got 20 pages of notes, but don't panic. Um, pages 8 approximately through the end are copies of what I used when I was covering the, the Ten Commandments, in particular the Fourth Commandment. So it's... it's inconceivable that I would be covering the seventh day of, uh, of creation and not talking about the fourth commandment. And not all of you were here when I, I was covering the fourth commandment, so I've got uh, those notes appended to what you have. So really about the first eight pages or so are specifically dealing with verses one through three. But we've got this transition taking place and uh, God finishing his work in, in six days. He completed it. And then we transition to this seventh day in Genesis 2, verse 1. And the heavens and the earth were finished, they were completed, and all the host of them. So you remember that we had this outworking of creation where God was forming and filling, where he was creating the heavens and the earth and then populating the heavens and the earth. So he populated the heavens and the earth with with the stars on the fourth day, with fish and fowl, with beasts, with grass, with herbs, etc. Uh, and then on the sixth day, he created man, male and female. And so he created the heavens and the earth and the host of, the, of them. So you've got him forming and filling all of his creation and looking at all that he had made in six normal days, six roughly 24-hour days, and characterizing that in chapter 1, verse 31, as very good. Earlier, he had said that he would look at what he had said, what he had done, and he said, and behold, it was very good. And he looked at the end of all of his work after six days, and his assessment was it was very good. It was complete. It, it, he, he rested. He was finished with what he had done. And he looked at this marvelous creation that he had literally spoken into existence out of nothing, by the word of his power in the space of six days, and all very good. And he ordained a day of rest. Uh, he, he created a very special day. And so we've got this, um, 
the seventh day, and he rested on this day, uh, not from all of his activity, but from his creative work. And it's important that we understand that, that when the scripture, when it uses the term rested in, uh, in verse 2, uh, the Hebrew word is Shabbat. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know what a Shabbat is, that's Sabbath. And so the, the Lord Sabbathed on the seventh day, and because, not because he needed to, but simply because he was looking at what he had made, and he determined that it was absolutely perfect, that it was all that he had wanted to do, uh, that it was uh, very good in his estimation. And so he ceased uh, from his work. That's really the essence of what it means, that he rested uh, in his work. Uh, he stopped from the creative endeavors that he had been engaged in for, for six days. That does not mean, and I'm at the bottom of page one again, that God had stopped working or, or activity. His creative work had been finished. The scripture is very clear on that because the scripture says that, uh, that uh, by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done. But the, uh, over the centuries, the, the reform mentality, the doctrine has been that there are two ways in which God uh, does his work. He has creation and providence. Uh, creation, again, the definition of creation would, would be God creating all things out of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. And the definition of providence would be God's holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. So by no means is God inactive uh, in, in all of his work, but he had, he had completed his creative work, but he continues to reign and rule over all that he had made. We call that providence. So you've got two aspects to what God is doing. You've got creation and you've got providence. Creation completed in six days, providence continuing on without cessation because God is reigning over all that he had made and accomplishing exactly everything that he's wanted to do or has ordained to do uh, in ways that please him. Top of page two, there is a viewpoint and it's uh, severely flawed called deism. Um, sometimes I, I, we, we, the, the early founders of the United States, some of them were believers, some of them were deists. Uh, a deist is someone who looks and recognizes that God, as they would define God, has created uh, this work and then stepped aside uh, and, and basically created the clock, wound it up, and it continues to run on its own, or the absentee landlord mentality. So God has created this, and yet he steps away from it. Nothing could be absolutely further from the truth, biblically. God has never stepped away from his creation. God has never stopped uh, overseeing, reigning, ruling perfectly every detail of his creation. And again, we call that providence. But the, the Lord does something uh, in verse 3 when he responds to um, all that he has made. He blessed the seventh day. Now, earlier in the scripture, this, uh, the word tells us that God blessed uh, his creatures. Uh, so he blessed the animate creatures and, and gave them roles to fulfill, to uh, populate the earth, uh, and man in particular to reign in his place as a vice regent. We, we spoke about that last week uh, with the purpose of man being to be uh, in the image of God and an integral part of that being in the image of God would be that he is reigning as God's vice regent 
Uh, he, God has delegated responsibility to man to exercise dominion over his creation. And man does what he does under the perfect rule and reign of God, but we're charged with the responsibility of reigning over the earth, of exercising dominion over the, all he's created. So we, we, we talked about that last time, that sometimes it's called the dominion mandate. But the Lord declared uh, his work uh, very good, uh, and then he blessed this day, marking it out as very special. He's never blessed a day before in all of this sequence of creation. He's declared, and it was evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day, etc., evening and morning the sixth day, uh, and he declared that it was all very good, but he never blessed a particular day. And so here we have the scripture telling us that God has blessed a, the, the seventh day, uh, that he actually has marked it out as a particular day, which tells us that we must think about the seventh day in a very unique fashion. It's different from every other day that, that, that was, ma was made. Uh, and so this is a day that he rested, uh, and it's a, a day, uh, we call this a creation ordinance. What do I mean by that? There are certain things that God has ordained to be done um, that preceded the fall, that preceded the Mosaic law. Uh, examples, uh, marriage and, co and, uh, and procreation, that's, that's a creation ordinance. Work is a creation ordinance. Uh, work is not a, a result of the fall. Work is not a curse. Work is something that God designed us to do, and, it, and actually we will always work. It's, it, there is a, a nobility to work. Uh, and the Sabbath day is a creation ordinance uh, to be observed uh, perpetually. And it, how do we know that? Because the scripture tells us uh, in verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Uh, when the scripture says he sanctified it, uh, another way of expressing that would be that God declared it to be holy. He set it apart. Uh, when the scripture talks about holiness, uh, the, what's being communicated is this is something that is uh, declared to be very special and not for ordinary use. Uh, it's it's uh, something that God has determined uh, to be separate from other things. Uh, there is a, a beauty to what he has declared to be holy, and the seventh day he declared to be holy. Uh, he, he blessed the seventh day and sanctified in it. Why? Because uh, in it he rested from all of his work, which he had created and made. And so this, this seventh day is the very first day that God has sanctified, uh, and so we have this creation ordinance. How do we know that it's a creation ordinance? Because this falls under the category of what we call moral law. There are certain characteristics of law in the scripture. There's moral law, there's civil law, there's ceremonial law. And moral law is intrinsic to the very character of God. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are moral law. Uh, they continue in effect today. Uh, sometimes people will look at Nine Commandments and they'll say, well, um, the first four, uh, clearly, you shall have no other gods. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You shall not create an image, uh, etc. Uh, and then we get into the second table of the law, uh, and people say that still relates. But all of the Ten Commandments still continue in effect today because they're all moral law. There are aspects to the commandments, and we call this ceremonial law, uh, that were ordained in the Old Covenant that are no longer in effect. Uh, so, for instance, the, the uh, Sabbath rules uh, that 
very strict about what you could do, what you could not do, uh, or ceremonial law or civil law, and those are abolished. Colossians 1.16 is sometimes misunderstood. The Sabbath in Colossians 1.16 is not the Sabbath that's being described in Exodus 20. Uh, It's relating, Paul is relating to the civil and ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath, which were looking forward to Christ, but had been fulfilled in Christ. And so Paul is not abrogating the Sabbath. That's the, that sometimes is a verse that people will use. And it's unfortunate because if you look at it very, car- very carefully, the, the wording is used actually is carried over exactly from the Old Testament where it refers to the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law is not in effect today, but the, the moral law is. All of the commandments are part of God's moral law. And that's articulated in Exodus 20. It's, it's articulated in Deuteronomy 5. It's also interesting to see if you look at the Ten Commandments and you see what is to happen, the scope of the Sabbath in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 10 is broader than Israel because it, it, those who are uh, within the gates of the person, the, the, the uh, people who are dwelling in their midst who are not Jews are also to observe the Sabbath. So it actually has a universal scope about it. It's not strictly limited to the Jews. And I mentioned this earlier, but in Exodus 16, you had the Jews wandering in the wilderness and they were lacking food. Okay, and you remember what God was providing food for them each day. So he would provide manna. And you remember what happened, right? First day, they would get a day's full of manna. They were to take uh, and and fill up their basket full of manna and enjoy it for that day. And then day two, they would do the same. Do you remember what they did on the sixth day? They were told very specifically to take two days worth of provision, not more, not less. Why? Because they were not together manna on the seventh day. Well, Exodus 20 precedes, pardon me, Exodus 16 precedes Sinai. Exodus 16 precedes the giving of the Decalogue. So the, the Sabbath actually was instituted as part of the creation in Genesis 2. Uh, it was exemplified in Exodus 16, and it's continued as part of the, of the, the structure of God's commandments, his moral law. And again, moral law is intrinsic to the very character of God. And so all of the commandments are reflections of of this. And and so it's a perpetual um, principle rooted in God's character. Look over on top of page three. What does it mean that God rested? And we need to unpack this uh, a little bit carefully. Um, there are aspects to God's rest, two of them in particular. One of them is what we might call a sovereign rest, and the other one is a saving rest. When we talk about a sovereign rest, um, what we're really saying is that uh, God ceased from his activity of creation on the seventh day, but that did not mean, as we mentioned earlier, under under the doctrine of providence, that he ceased to be active. God is always active. He's never ceased to be active, but he has created all that is. And so the the image that is created, that is being pictured here, is you have a king who is looking at his dominion and he ascends to his throne and he sits on his throne and he looks at what has been made and he says, this is great. And, And so I'm going to reign over this, I'm going to rule over this. And that's exactly what is being pictured here in Genesis 2, verse 3, that God the King literally has created everything for his own pleasure. Uh, he's uh, formed, he's filled uh, all in a way that pleases him. He's declared it very good. He steps back 
he assesses it as very good. I'm going to set apart this day and bless it. It's very, it, it's sanctified, it's blessed. I'm going to enjoy this and I'm going to reign and rule over it. And that's, that's the, the picture that's being uh, made here is a sovereign rule over all that has created. Uh, and it's in this aspect that we understand that the seventh day is, is marked off in a, in a different way. What's, what's interesting is the seventh day does not have the wording, uh, and there was evening and there was morning uh, a certain day. There does not say there was evening and morning the first day, the evening and morning the sixth day. It does not say there was evening and morning the seventh day. It just simply says on the seventh day that God ceased his activity, he rested, he blessed the day, and he declared it uh, a sanctified or holy day. Now that doesn't mean that the seventh day was anything different than a 24-hour day. All of the seven days were 24-hour days. What's interesting though is it, 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 I think it intimates very clearly that the essence of this day continues on, that God's work continues on. Uh, the scripture actually says um, uh, that uh, in the Gospel of John that God continues to work. Uh, and he does. Uh, we, we talked about that with the doctrine of providence, that it's this holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all their actions. When we look at that all that takes place, everything that, that occurs is under God's sovereign hand. He's, he's the reign, he reigns over it. He rules over it. Uh, Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, the scripture says, I am God, there is none like me, uh, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that have not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So God is resting, but he's reigning. He's completed, but he's ruling. And that's, he set it all in motion. Unlike the, the deists, he set it all in motion and, and he hasn't stepped back from it. He set it all in motion and he's ascended and he, he's sitting there as king, reigning, ruling, pleased with what he has made, declaring it all very, very good. And we have the privilege as his creatures of being vice regents. We, we're not uh, divine, of course, but he has delegated to us responsibilities to exercise dominion over his creation, to be caretakers. We talked about this last week, uh, to be stewards of his creation. That, that implies some very strong responsibilities uh, to look at what God has made and to shepherd what he has created, to take care of it, uh, to not use it wastefully, to not abuse what he has created. Uh, so there are implications with respect to how we live and how we care for the earth and how we care for his creatures, etc. Uh, all in a way that these are things that, that God has made. And, and we have a responsibility and a privilege of serving as uh, those who have a responsibility to exercise dominion. And then there, in addition to this aspect of sovereign rest, there is the aspect of a saving rest down at the bottom of page three. And this is something that actually ties in exactly with what we've been looking at in the worship time in Hebrews chapter 4 uh, and quoting Psalm 95. And we have, when Israel entered uh, the promised land, that was not the end all of God's rest. It was a picture of God's rest. It was them entering in to occupy what he had promised to them. And when we see the seventh day, it's very similar. We have God's consummation of all that he had made, and it looks forward to uh, the time when we will be with him forever. It, it looks forward to eternity. It looks forward to, uh, to us enjoying God uh, forever. Uh, and so you've got this Sabbath rest 
as being pictured in the end of creation, and God said this is very holy. And so the, the Sabbath rest is actually a picture of all the blessings that we have, not only in salvation today, but in salvation through eternity for those who are his children, that we will be with him, that we will enjoy his presence, that we will commune with him. And so there is an aspect that we, we have that will continue to continue on. And so you've got this analogy uh, when, when you have God working and then resting and enjoying and, and reigning and ruling over the seventh day. Uh, there's an analogy, I'm sort of in the middle of page four now, uh, that looks at the Christian life. Uh, and it looks at the fact that uh, we are to persevere, we are to endure, we are to continue to, to, uh, to serve. He has accomplished everything that we need to, to have for, to have eternal life with him. But what do we do? Uh, we continue to work. We continue to, to do this, but looking forward to this time when we are with him in heaven, uh, when we are enjoying his presence, uh, when we are with him for all eternity. Uh, and so um, the reason that the Israelites didn't enter the promised land, some of them anyway, was why? Because they had hardened their heart. They, they, they did not exercise faith. Uh, they rebelled against God in the midst of all of the difficulties that they had. Uh, and they harden their heart. And so what we are to do as believers is to, to live in faith, to, to take God's promises, to live for him, to be uh, those who please him with our lives and to look forward to entering that permanent rest uh, when we will be, be with our God, our creator, our savior uh, for all eternity. And so this seventh day actually looks forward in a very real fashion to being with the Lord forever in all eternity. And it's a reminder I think that this world is not our real home. There, and it, that goes to the issue of how we actually observe the Sabbath day or how we observe the Lord's day. And if we, you wonder about the, the day, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it's clear that the apostles began to observe the Sabbath on the first day of the week, not the, the seventh day of the week, and so we observe it on Sunday uh, and, and not on Saturday. And, and so, but it's the same concept. It was simply moved to remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 20, verse 7, calls it the Lord's Day. And, and the Apostle John refers to that in, in the book of Revelation as well. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Uh, so you've got this continuing rest. So how do we, how do we actually um, enjoy the Sabbath? Sometimes I'll use the term observe the Sabbath, and I have to be careful because I, 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 sometimes when we use the term observe, it, it, it almost creates an impression that it's a rule of a, a series of do's and don'ts, that it's mechanical. It's things that we can do, we can't do, and it becomes uh, a very legal aspect. Um, I think a better way to, to describe how we spend uh, the Sabbath of the Lord's Day is how do we enjoy the Lord's Day? How do we partake of the Lord's Day so that we can always remember that's the essence of what this day is all about? Uh, it's not, as we'll unpack this a little bit later, um, just a, a rule of do's and don'ts. Sometimes I think people balk at the notion that the Sabbath is a continuing ordinance under the moral law because they, they look at it as, as if we were back under the Mosaic law that we're back uh, under old Israel, and that's not the case at all. But, it's, but that doesn't mean that the Sabbath isn't a continuing aspect of God's moral law. It absolutely is. But how do we observe us? How do we partake? How do we enjoy the, the Sabbath day? Uh, there are three aspects. First, is through corporate worship. That's why we're here on the Lord's Day, through corporate worship. I'm on page five. And, uh, and so by corporate worship, 
what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves, I mentioned earlier the aspect of the sovereign rest of God, that he created all that is, and he's reigning over it. We observe him as the king of all creation. Uh, we are those whom he has made. Uh, we serve him. Uh, and so we come on the Lord's day as his own children, as those who observe him as king. Uh, we, we, in, in the words of, um, of Psalm 47, and we actually looked at this psalm very recently on Wednesday evening, uh, it's our response to the enthronement of God. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. That's one of the very key reasons we come and do what we do on the Lord's day is we're recognizing our God as King and we're honoring him as the one who reigns over us, who rules over us, who has chosen us from all eternity to be his children, who's accomplished redemption for us so that he could call us his own children and done everything that, we, that he needed to do to, bring, to purchase a place for him, uh, for us in heaven, that we might be with him that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be declared righteous in his sight because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And, and we reign, we, we recognize him as king. Uh, we, we submit to him in, in all, that we, all that we do. Uh, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him according to Romans 12. And, and, and Psalm 47 speaks of the, the demeanor that we have when we gather on the Lord's day. What are we doing? We're singing praises to our king. We're honoring him as our sovereign. We're, we're, we're praising him for all that he is and all that he's done. And so you've got uh, in the middle of page 5, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, in Acts 20, verse 7 and 1 Corinthians 16, you have the fact that the, uh, the Sabbath day was shifted uh, to what we call the first day of the week, uh, the, um, the Lord's Day. Uh, and we, we do commemorate his resurrection. But we do more than that. We do commemorate the resurrection, but this is a time we, we refer to this as a means of grace. It's when we grow in Christ. Uh, we are nourished in Christ um, as we occupy this day in private and public worship. It's really a very special gift that God has given us. And we need to always remember that, that the, the Sabbath of the Lord's Day is a gift that God has given us. Why? so that we might occupy this day in a very particular way with really feasting on God, uh, occupying ourselves with his word, uh, enjoying prayer and communion with him and communion with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it literally is an oasis in the middle of a very busy week uh, that he said, carve this out, I'm giving this to you. It's, it's, the, create, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a gift that God has given us. Mark 2 actually says that. Uh, so the importance of weekly attendance uh, in, in gathered worship uh, is integral to what we do in observing the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. Second paragraph from the, the uh, end on page 5 is so important. I, I, it can't be overstated. How greatly Christians cheapen the Sabbath day when they come to church wondering only what they can get out of it. Uh, if we, if, the purpose of gathering is not what do we get out of it, it's we have the privilege of sitting under the pre of preaching of God's word, of taking in his word, of worshiping God, enjoying him, having a whole day, literally a whole day, which is different than every other day, that we can spend our time meditating on God, 
occupying ourselves with him, uh, filling our spiritual gas tank, so to speak. The, the Puritans called the, the, the Sabbath or the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. The market day was when you'd go and your, your, your cupboard would be relatively bare. Uh, you'd need to replenish all the staples in your house. Uh, you'd go to the market and you'd fill out, what, what do I need to do? Uh, I need to, to stock up. I need to really get refilled. And that's, that's an integral part of what this day is all about. It's the market day of the soul when we really feast on, on Christ. Uh, when we're, we're spiritually famished the rest of the week just simply because of all the distractions and things that enter our lives and, the, and the, the wickedness of the world that we live in. And so what has God done? He's given us a day, this day, to enjoy Him in a very unique and a very special way. A second reason down at the bottom of page 5 is it's a, a testimony <clears throat> uh, to the final rest that we have with Christ. Uh, and I, it, how often do we need to be reminded, I do, I don't know about the rest of you, I suspect you're no different, that this world is not my real home. And we do need to be reminded of that. Uh, we, we, we can't sink our, our spiritual tent pegs too deeply into this world because this is not where we will ultimately be. Uh, that we're passing through, uh, we're, we're, we're strangers, we're aliens, the scripture describes us. Uh, we're wandering through, we're, we're sort of in the wilderness, if I can use that metaphor, and we're, we're going to enter the promised land. Um, the promised land is the, is the rest, it's the consummation of what has been purchased for us. And so this world is a place where we exercise dominion, under God's rule, he's king and we are his vice regents. We answer to him, we have responsibilities, but this world is not our, our eternal home. Praise God for that. Uh, I should be hearing some amens about right now. I mean, but if, if, we, if you really realize that it, this is not as good as it gets, you've heard the expression, your best life now, only an unsaved person should ever say that. This is not your best life. This is, this is a good life. God has given us uh, many blessings. The Christian should never say, this is my best life. My best life is yet to come. Uh, Your absolute best life uh, awaits you. So it's, it's a testimony not only to ourselves, uh, but to others uh, that observe how we, how we spend the day. Uh, that, you know what, we're not tethered to this world. Uh, we recognize our, the importance of being in this world, of, uh, of serving God in this world, um, of uh, pleasing Him in this world. Uh, but this is not our real home. So we're always reminding our, not only ourselves, uh, but reminding others that we're not in bondage uh, to work and recreation. We're in bondage to Christ. Uh, Paul described himself as a doulos, a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And that's exactly who we are. We have the most benevolent master that one could ever imagine. And that our benevolent master is Christ, who's purchased us, who's given us, has shed his own blood for us. And third, not to be missed at all is a, a why do we observe the Lord's Day or the, the Lord's Sabbath is a refreshment uh, from worldly labor. Um, this is a gift. Again, it, it, we, we can't possibly overstate this. It's a gift. We shouldn't view it. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about this a little bit later as there's a difference between a legal uh, observance and an evangelical observance. A legal observance is I do something because I'm afraid I'm going to get caught if I, if I don't do this, or I'm going to get punished if I don't do this. I do this out of a sheer sense of duty. I do this out of a sheer sense of obligation. And evangelical obedience is I do this out of gratitude for the gospel. 
That's really the way we should look at our obedience is, and that's how Paul looks at it in Romans 12. Therefore, in view of the what? The mercies of God. The mercies of God. He doesn't say, therefore, in view of avoiding wrath. He says, in view of the mercies of God, I entreat you, I urge you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Those, two, those verses really encapsulate the mentality that should pervade how we look at the Lord's day uh, as a time of refreshment from our labor, uh, as a, a gift, as a blessing, and we're offering this back to God. Uh, John Calvin said this uh, sort of in the middle of the page, that God did not command men simply to keep holiday. What he means is, is the, the Lord's Day or the Sabbath is not uh, designed to be a day of sloth. It's not intended to be like a 12-hour nap. Uh, it's not intended to be you sit in front of the TV and just let your mind wander. No, it, it's intended to be a time of focus. It's a time of devotion to God. Uh, it's fine to, to physically rest. That's, that's a-okay, of course. But... But the purpose is not just to spend it as a nap day. It's, it's to, to occupy ourselves with God in an undistracted fashion. But so when, when, when Calvin says God did not command men simply to keep holiday, but rather that they being released from all other business. Have you ever thought of it that way? Sometimes I think we turn it on its head and we say, oh, now I'm in bondage to, to, to Sunday. No, you, you're not in bondage. This is a gift. You're being released from otherworldly things and you're being set free from other distractions so that you can occupy yourself with God. Can you imagine anything better than that? I can't. I mean, that's literally as good as it gets on this side of heaven. That the, and it's supposed to be a reminder that this side of heaven is just a little glimpse of what we'll enjoy in an infinite fashion uh, in, for all eternity. Uh, but we're being released from all other business uh, that they might be more readily apply their minds to the creator of the world. So looking at this, how, how do we approach? I, I like that word approach rather than observe. Sometimes, again, observe has this, this impression, I think, that somehow mis misguides people. Um, this one author says, to claim or desire freedom from the fourth commandment is to miss its grand purpose. It, you missed it altogether is to help us to understand and enjoy the redemptive rest of Jesus Christ. And then down at the bottom, to focus on what we can or cannot do on the Lord's Day is to miss the point. Rather, we should ask, what is the best way I can observe God's holy day? In answering this question, we work to honor Christ by pleasing Him and bring, bringing glory to Him in the day that is uniquely His. That's really the mentality for, for the Lord's Day. Top of page 7. Uh, all legalistic approaches to the Sabbath are inappropriate, but the Bible does tell us how to observe this day. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 is really, really a very special passage um, because it, it, it's describing turning your foot away from or, or directing your life away from what you're doing on other days, changing the trajectory of your life. What, changing from what? From doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day of the Lord honorable. 
to honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, speaking your own word, and then you will take delight in the Lord. In other words, we're changing things where we're, what are we occupied with? Our own words, our own works, our own ways? No. God's given us the Lord's day, the, 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 the Christian Sabbath, to turn away from seeking our own pleasure, our own work, our own words, and seeking his pleasure, his word, his works, and occupying ourselves with him. It's a gift. Again, we, we have to constantly remind this. Um, and J.G. Voss makes this point. He says, it's a mistake to regard the Sabbath as grounded primarily in considerations of practical usefulness. What he means by that, clearly, to work seven days is, is harmful to people's mentality. Absolutely. It, 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 it simply is never designed to be that way. Um, so, but we could look at that and say, are there, are there temporal, physical benefits to taking a day off? Yes, there are temporal benefits, mental benefits, etc., to taking a day off. That's not what this is all about. It's not just the benefit of taking a day off. Um, it, it, those realities are there, uh, but the, the, the purpose, the main essence of the Lord's Day is it points forward uh, to the eternal issues of life and history. Every week, the return of the Sabbath reminds us that human history will have a consummation, that there will be an end of the world, followed by eternity. It's a recurring example of eternity. And so that's just something that is so helpful, I think, for us to remember. Now, that's really the essence of what I wanted to cover today, because on pages 8 through 20, what I've given you is, the, it's an excerpt from my handout when I was covering the Ten Commandments. On the, this is the excerpt from the Fourth Commandment. Not all of you were here on the, when I was covering the Fourth Commandment, so uh, you've got this. Uh, but I, I will simply direct you uh, over to page 18, uh, just, uh, just real quickly. Uh, I can't spend a lot of time on this. This actually goes back to my earlier handout. Um, John Lee wrote this, this very, very helpful uh, article, uh, and uh, he makes the, the point that resting, uh, third or fourth, third paragraph down, includes more than mere cessation of activity. Um, true resting could never be legislated or otherwise externally coerced. There is a heart-level submission that is required. In other words, what he's saying is that for us to abstain from what we would normally be doing is not simply because someone is saying, don't do this, don't do this. We're setting apart this day for private and public worship because we want to. We want to honor God. We want to thank Him. We want to enjoy Him. We, we want to have communion with Him. We're, we're realizing, God, this is a gift that you've given to me. I don't want to waste this. I don't want to use this day like every other day. I only get one in seven. You've given me every week a day to enjoy you in a particular way. Sure, we worship him every single day, but, but if we say every day is the Lord's day, that's really saying that no day is the Lord's day when we, when we, when we make that statement. We, that's the practical import of that. He, he's given us a very special day. But resting requires us to submit our whole being to God. What's, what's interesting, just at the very end of this, and I'll, I'll just summarize uh, this, um, Last page, page 20, last, literally the last paragraph. The weekly rest nurtures faith by reminding believers of three important things. Three things. Work is a good gift, but a terrible master. Did you get that? It's a good gift, but a terrible master. 
If work is our master, then you're, you're following the wrong master. Man is dependent upon God for all things. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'll never get all my schoolwork done if I have to do it in six days. Well, guess what? You, 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 that actually requires faith. That requires discipline. That requires that we allocate our time wisely. Well, well, I can't do all my work in six days. Well, God has designed us to get all of our work done in six days. Some of us just work five days. Some of us work whatever less than that. But, but God's given us one day in seven, and it, it requires faith to say, you know what? Work is not my master. God is my master. And I'm going to show faith by trusting him that I'll get everything done in six days I need to do. And then lastly, uh, ad- abiding contentment can only be found in Christ. So if we're finding contentment in the acquisition of material goods or the accomplishment of the approval of others or feeling important about what we're able to do in our, in our work, that's, that's finding contentment in all the wrong places. Uh, it, this, this day that God has given us is a unique gift so that we can enjoy him and really say, God, thank you for a little picture of heaven. Thank you for a little glimpse of what it's going to be like. Can I get, you've given me one day every single week to get a little preview of heaven that I can have undistracted devotion to you when I can be set aside the things that I have to do the rest of the week and now I can do the things that I get to do when, when, and, and I'm looking forward to heaven. If we're not looking forward to heaven, you'll never enjoy the Lord's day. If you're not looking forward to heaven, I'm not sure that you really know the Lord. You know, I mean, it's one of those things. We, we, a true believer is never really at home in this world. There is always this gnawing sense that, God, you got me here for the time being, but I'm looking forward to being with you forever. That's, that's the essence of, the, of what, a, what a believer's mentality is all about. And that's what we get to enjoy on the, on the Lord's day. So pages 8 through 20 are just a recap of what I covered uh, in an earlier session on the Ten Commandments, but I, I wanted to, uh, to address uh, the seventh day in a, in a particular way by focusing on the meaning of the, uh, of the Lord's Day or the Christian Sabbath.